So when I was in high school and in college, my family started watching a TV show named Psych. Anybody seen Psych before? It became one of those shows for me that I really enjoyed and I kind of watched over and over, but not like sat down and watched the seasons over and over. It was that show that I always had going on in the background. Do you have a show like that? That you might be working on something for work or doing housework, but you just put something on to be in the background and, and that psych was that show for me. Well, there's this episode in psych and just to kind of give you an idea of what the, psych is. There's a guy who's pretending to be a a psychic, but he's really just super observant. His dad was a detective. He taught him, uh, his son, to be very observant of things. And so he pretends to be a detective to help the police, to pretend to be a psychic to help the police solve crimes. And there's this one episode where there's a family who, whose uh, husband passed away, was killed in in an airplane accident. And And he's investigating the family, he's talking to the family, picking up on clues here and there. And the conclusion he comes to is that that, this family has some stuff going on. This family is weird. And I don't remember all the details and all the particulars, but I remember him going back and telling his dad and getting his dad's advice on it. And his dad has this line that has stuck, stuck with me for a very, very long time. His dad said, every family is weird. It's what makes America great. And I don't know about you, but that resonates with me because I'm part of a weird family. I think my family's weird. I think the family I grew up in is a bit weird. And there's something that happens when you leave your home, you get out into the real world, you, you have your own family, your own kids, that you realize how weird maybe your family was originally. In the counseling world, they call it family of origin. And they ask a lot of questions about your family of origin because the family you came from has shaped so much about you. The the system you grew up in, the unspoken rules, the the rhythms, the patterns of life that you had growing up has has shaped you and formed you into the person that you are today. You know, I don't remember anyone coming up and teaching me, this is how you communicate with your spouse when you get married. But I saw my parents and what they did. And I only saw what they did out and open in front of us. I don't know what those conversations were like behind closed doors, but, but that has shaped how I communicate with my wife. I don't know what vacations were like for your family growing up, but Hannah and I had to have a lot of conversations about the expectations on vacations because vacations for my family and vacations for her family looked very different. Parenting. Everybody has that piece of advice they share once they find out that you're expecting your first kid, right? I got so much advice. But my, upgr- up, my upbringing, how I was raised, how I was parented as a child has influenced how I parent Graham. Influences how I parent our foster daughter. Our family of origin has shaped us into the people that we are in in sometimes good ways and sometimes ways that we need to take a step back and say, now wait a minute, I'm not so sure about that. There's a lot of research, there's a lot of studies and a lot of debates that go on in this, this nature versus nurture debate. Were we born with the personalities and the character traits that we have or is it part of our family of origin? Were we, were we born this way to be a happy person or an organized person? Or is it a result of the family structure that we grew up in? 
For example, if you have a kid who is super, 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 super organized and two parents who are super, 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 super disorganized, it may make sense that they were just born that way. Or it makes sense that maybe because of the disorganization in the family, a kid had to step up and have some kind of organization in the family. There's a whole lot of research and studies and I think there's some kind of combination between the way that God created us to be and the family structure that we grew up in. It's very exciting. It's very interesting. And I, I love talking to people and seeing and hearing their stories and, and how they grew up and what they were like and their parents were like. And those stories, they just fascinate me. For the last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Things Jesus Never Said. And I think that if, if someone said, Jesus said this thing, and they, they said something that they believe Jesus said, and if it was directly contrary to Scripture, I hope most of us would know. But there's a lot of things that we believe Jesus said that it's not true. Maybe it's only partial true. But it sounds good. It sounds close to the truth. And we accept it as what Jesus has said. And a lot of that might even come from our family of origin. Our family that we grew up with has shaped our view of God, has shaped our view of faith and of Christianity and what it means to be a disciple. And, and it's shaped a lot about our faith and who we are as Christians and believers if you grew up in church or if you didn't grow up in church. So there's a lot of things that we may believe about what God said, what Jesus said that he never did. And Eric and I were talking this week and he said that he, he tries the best that he can to, to look at the songs that we sing in worship. Because believe it or not, those who, who write Christian music aren't necessarily trying to stick directly as close as they can to Scripture. There's a lot of really good contemporary Christian music. There's a lot of really good worship music. There's a lot of really good hymns. But sometimes they try to find a word that provokes emotion rather than speaking truth about who God is. Or a word that fits the rhythm of the song, rather than a truth about who God is. And we've been inundated from all these different sources, from all these different places, and we've fallen into these traps of believing things that might not be true. Things that Jesus said that he actually didn't say. This last one this morning as we conclude the series is probably the one I struggle with the most. And if I had to guess, I would say that you might also. Because the reality and the truth about it is that Jesus never said, you be you. He never said, you are perfect the way you were born, perfect the way you are, you just, you be you. I'm sorry. I'll, you do you, boo-boo. That, that's what people say, right? You, you do you, boo-boo. Jesus never said that. Jesus, Jesus never said that. But we believe that. Because this is the way God created me, right? This is the way God made me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That we were made in the image of God. And in God's original perfect creation, everything was perfect. He created everything absolutely perfect, including Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. 
And sin entered the world in such a way that it, it got such a grip in this world. That nobody is born perfect. From the moment of conception, there is no perfect. If we think about this just for a moment, we, we know of people in our own lives who are born somewhere on the autism scale or with another genetic difficulty that they have to spend their lives coping with. That is not perfection. That is not the way God designed this world to be. But because sin is so deep, it is the world that we live in today. And this has affected not just our physical bodies, but our personalities, our character traits, and, and so much more about who we are. Now I'm going to step aside for just a moment as I mentioned, as I mentioned that because I, there's something I just want to say real quick as a, as a side note. I know that some of you have experienced the pain that I can't even begin to imagine. And some of you have experienced a miscarriage or you've lost a child that you had the pleasure of holding on for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks. And I can't imagine that pain that you've experienced. And I believe that there is solid biblical evidence that you will see that child again in heaven one day. We see David and Bathsheba's first first child who was so sick and ended up passing, and, and David's response is that he would see him soon. That he won't come back, but, but that David, that he would see him soon. And I think there's a lot of other evidence, and I would love to talk with you if you'd like to talk about that more, but I believe that that if you have lost an infant or a child, that you will see that child again someday. That they are in heaven with God. But it still does not mean they were born perfect. There's defects, there's sin that has such a grip on humanity. And I'm not, also to clarify for just a moment, I'm not equating things like autism to sin. Autism is not a sin, it is something that is born, but it it illustrates the depth of which sin has its grips in this world. We aren't born perfect from the moment of conception. We are born sinful. And so Jesus never said, you you do you. you. You just be you. You just be who I created you to be. In fact, he says to those who have given your life to Christ, Paul says it well in Galatians 2, 2, 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live to the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's hard. And clearly Paul is not talking about a physical death. He's not talking about killing ourselves physically. But sometimes we even lessen this more than we should. We're not perfect, and the only way to get as close back to the way God designed this world, designed us and made us to be in his image, is to die to self, is to crucify ourselves. And there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about this. Jesus even spoke to this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That there is this every single day we are to pick up our cross, we are to crucify ourselves, we are to make sure that we are not living for ourselves, that we are living for Christ. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everyone who's in Christ, everyone who gives their lives to Christ is, 
has gotten rid of the old, has died to the old, and is now a new creation in Christ. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Dying to self means that everything we do is for the kingdom of God. When I became a Christian, it didn't just become another piece of the puzzle of what makes up Will Pinnell. It wasn't just another hobby. It wasn't just another thing I did. It wasn't just another job. It wasn't something that was just on my mind on a frequent basis. It became who I am. Uh, Kyle Eidemann from Southeast Church has used this illustration of a dresser before. And everybody has a different drawer for aspects of their life. There's a finance drawer. There's a work drawer. There's a family drawer. There's a hobby drawer. And sometimes we just like to add a, a Jesus drawer, a Christian drawer to our life. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to get rid of the old dresser and give us a brand new dresser so that every piece of who we are is now part of that new life. That my identity at work, my identity at home with my family, my identity in everything I do is part of that new dresser, that new life that God has given me. Now I do believe God has created each and every one of us uniquely and beautifully and wonderfully and there is there's something amazing and just breathtaking to seeing the, the diversity of personality and character traits and, and all kinds of things with all different kinds of people. How many of you have ever taken a personality profile test before? Like the DISC profile, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram. If you go on Facebook, there's a hundred of them. Which Star Wars character is you? Which mermaid is you? Which this are you? Which that? And, and it'll give you a, 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 a result of what personality type you are. The DISC profile, if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to use it as an example. Because it's really simple. It measures two things. It measures whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And it measures whether you are a uh, task-oriented person or a people-oriented person. And it's broken up into four quadrants, and you're somewhere in one of the quadrants to some degree or another, and it just measures kind of your personality and where you tend to lean when it comes to refilling on energy and introvert or extrovert or whether you're people-oriented or task-oriented. And none of those are bad. It's just who you are. But you look at the disc, you look at the Myers-Briggs, you look at the Enneagram, you look at any of those, and you, you talk to someone who, who helps other people understand their type, understand their personality, and walks with them through one of these tests. And they'll tell you that the reason we do this is to know yourself better and to help you grow. Because we're not perfect. And God did give us unique personality and traits but they have become so marred by sin that that's not how God created it to be to some people God said I have given you the gift of, of tongues the gift of communication the gift to communicate with eloquence sometimes I have that sometimes I don't but sometimes he looks at me and said, you've used this gift that I've given you for yourself and for self-promotion rather than telling others about the gospel and who I am. To some people he's given the gift of administration and 
to use for, for organizing his church, for organizing outreach in the community, for, for his kingdom here on earth. And sometimes we use that for selfish gain, to climb the corporate ladder. God looks at us and says, hey, I've given you this gift of service to love other people and, and you're supposed to use it for my church, but, but some of you, some of you have used it to help those who can help you back, who have helped others so that they owe you a favor. He has gifted all of us in incredible ways. And sometimes because we are so marred by sin, we use them for selfish reasons rather than the kingdom of God. There are times we look throughout Scripture and we see Jesus being an extrovert. We see him being an introvert. We see him being task-oriented. and We see him being people-oriented. We see all these different sides of Jesus. I really would be curious if Jesus were to take a disc or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, where he would fall. My guess is he'd be 50-50 down the page. He'd probably be all the different numbers of the Enneagram at different times. Because he understands that there's a time for each one of them. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything under the sun. And there's a time to be introverted. There's a time to be extroverted. There's a time to be task-oriented. The job just has to get done. And there's a time to be people-oriented because people matter. And we have that hard task of having a personal bent because God created us in a unique and special way. And we have to make sure that we are dying to self so that we are using our talents and our gifts and our personality the way God created us to be, to be more like him. Because that is the purpose of this Christian life, this Christian walk that we do, to be more like Jesus. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Those who say they, li- they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And this should be our goal, right? To be less like us and more like Jesus. Less like us, marred with sin, more like the perfect one who made no sin. And, and if we are doing that well, if we are doing that well, we should be able to say what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And I know that sounds bold, that sounds brash, that sounds maybe even a bit arrogant to say. I'm not perfect. Never have been, never will be. But I should be trying my best to live as closely to that of Jesus so that if you're following me, you see more of Jesus than you see me. That you see more of Jesus and who he is and his truth and his love, his compassion, his kindness, more more than you see me. And that means that that means I have to die to self. It's not about me. It's not about what I want to do, who I want to be. It's about pointing people to Jesus. 
Because I can't save anyone. I can't give anyone hope and life. Only He can. He has gifted you in unique and powerful and amazing ways. And His Spirit, if you're a believer, His Spirit lives inside of you. If you're not, His Spirit wants to be inside of you and and empower you and, and give you amazing talents and gifts and abilities to extend the kingdom of God here on earth. And sometimes we get it in our mind, sometimes our culture yells at us that you're special, that you are important just the way you are because you have something we're saying, you have something we're sharing, you, 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 and and it puts all the emphasis on us. And they're not completely wrong. God created us in his image so that we point back to his son. So that we show the world it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. If I were to ask you the question, are you perfect, I assume most of you would say no. If I were to ask you the question, if we should be becoming more like Jesus, most of you would say yes. But if I were to ask you, how have you grown in your faith over the last year? I wonder what we'd say. Maybe if you're new to the faith, maybe there's been a lot of growth over the year. May 13th, 2001, I gave my life to Christ. 20 years ago, a little more. And I wish I could say with all sincerity that every year has gotten a little better. I've become a little bit more like Christ. That every single year, I've begun to look a little bit more like Jesus. But something happens after you've been a Christian for a couple years, doesn't it? We start to relax. We start to get in a rut. We start to come to church and we think we're doing good enough. We're doing better than the outside world, right? Better than those non-believers and those pagans out there. We're doing better than them. But that's not who we're comparing ourselves to. Comparing ourselves to Jesus. And if there's ever a day that we look back and we don't see a change... In our lives, and I, maybe, a, maybe a day doesn't provide enough time for change. Maybe we look back over the last year, and if we can't see growth in looking more like Jesus, then that should be a red flag. That maybe we've fallen into a rut, maybe we're more comfortable with who we are than becoming more like Jesus. So I want to encourage you to take some time this week and reflect on who you are. If you're a believer, I want to encourage you to to look back over the last year. And 2020 was was a heck of a year, right? There's a lot of room for growth. A lot of different ways that we could become more like Jesus. So the question is, did you? Did you become more like Jesus. If you're not a believer, you need to know the cost. You need to know that this life is 
It's going to tell you lies. It's going to pump you up. It's going to elevate you more than what you were designed to handle. And eventually it's going to hurt. And Jesus is here with arms open wide, waiting to embrace you and make you into a brand new person. A brand new person that is a little bit closer to who he originally created you to be. And it will be the most freeing and exciting thing you will ever experience in your life. I want to also encourage you this week to hop online. If you're part of a life group, I've shared a link with all the life group leaders for an Enneagram test. Uh, DISC and Myers-Briggs are fantastic personality profile tests. They measure a little bit more behavior, a little bit more surface level things. Um, Enneagram measures motivation. What motivates you to be the way, to act the way, to do the things that you do? I've dove into it over the last few months. It's really interesting. I've really gained a lot of insight from it. Um, We're going to post it on social media this week. And I want to encourage you to take this free Enneagram test so that you know you better. So that you know what you're good at. You know your giftings, what God has gifted you. And you know what pitfalls to watch out for. You know the ways that maybe you could grow and become a little bit more like Jesus. And I want to encourage you to get plugged in with a life group, to have people around you who, who love you, who support you, who are willing to say, hey man, are you more like Jesus today than you were last year? Hey, I know because of your Enneagram, because you shared that, I know that this might be an area that you could improve a little bit. What are you doing to improve? And how can I help? We're not just here to pick on each other. We're here to support, to love, to encourage, and to help us follow Jesus better. So by the time we get to the end of our life, maybe, just maybe, someone will confuse us with Jesus because we look so much like him. Father God, I pray that that is our heart's desire this morning. The world shouts all kinds of things about just being us, being our true self, whatever that is, whatever we want that to be. But God, you have called us to be more. You've called us to be like you, to be like your son. You've called us to holiness. You've called us to perfection. You've called us to do everything we can to get back to the original way you've created us to be. So, Father, I pray that as we leave this place, God, I pray that we will have a renewed spirit inside of us, that we will have a renewed passion and drive to become more like you, to become more like your son, that we will do the work necessary to die to self so that you can do a work inside of us. That it won't be about us, it won't be about our plans, it won't be about our desires or about our passions, or it won't be about us, God, that it will be all about you, God. Renew the spirit inside of us to care to be more like you each and every day. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen.